Running It with Nate Sexton is brought to you in part by Innova Champion Discs, proud sponsor of the Collegiate Disc Golf National Championship next week in Marion, North Carolina. Visit collegediscgolf.com for more info. This is Stork, and you're listening to Running It with Nate Sexton. Hello, Disc Golf fans, and welcome back to another episode of Running It with Nate Sexton. I am your co-host, Jared Orr. He is a man whose disc golf resume seems to be growing daily. United States champion, innovative team captain, the voice of disc golf, and now the face of disc golf at Willamette Park, as seen on the Visit Corvallis website, our host, Mr. Nate Sexton. Nate, how you doing today, man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing well. I don't a face of disc golf might be a bit strong, but uh, at least on my well, on my hometown's city website, yeah, they did. Uh, they they contacted me and uh, we talked a little bit, and we're actually super excited because we're we're replacing the baskets at that course. They have they're the same one since 1999, and uh, yeah, exciting times for disc golf in Corvallis. I know I know we got to have at least a, a listener or two in my hometown. Well, yeah, as far as Willamette Park goes, man, you're the face, and, and the Visit Corvallis website says so. Um, and hey, and I've, right. heard, I've heard you referred to as the uh, Corvallis Cosell. So, <laughs> by by you, know, you, I think. <laughs> yeah, yes, by, by me, but none, nonetheless, it's out there. Hey, I appreciate <laughs> it. I, I, everybody needs a good hype man, and, and you've been a great hype man for me, so I absolutely appreciate it. Hey, I, I do what I can. Um, another amazing weekend of disc golf. You were down in Bend uh, calling some live action. I really enjoyed watching it this week because it showed that some of these pros are human. I enjoyed watching them throw discs into trees like I do every week. Um, again, so- sound like you guys had a lot of fun out there, though. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and on the other side of that coin, I guess, is that some of those guys aren't that human. Like this Ricky Wysocki fella. I mean, he was unbelievable i his his game just looks uh on on another level right now i'm really happy for him and and those back-to-back wins i mean just incredible golf always nice to see an innova guy pull down a, a, another big win so innova and ricky that kind of dominated texas these last few weeks yeah and definitely got a shout out Haley king as well uh just getting kind of obviously she won that twenty thousand dollars in the uh much talked about tour championship, but other than that, I mean, that was kind of a strange format. This was like kind of her first big time elite series win. And, and that was really impressive to see as well. Yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun and I, I had a great time watching it. Okay. Now we have another amazing guest lined up for us today, but before we get into it, everybody already knows we got to talk about our friends over at FisherDiscGolf.com. FisherDiscGolf.com has been an amazing supporter of running it with Nate Sexton, and they have constantly been adding more plastic and more apparel to their website every single day. Guys, if you were on FisherDiscGolf.com last week, you need to hop on there this week because they just keep loading up and putting on new plastic, new hats, new shirts, new bags. Uh, these guys are really ramping up what they have to offer, and they're doing it at a great price. I really love everything that they're doing over there. You guys already know about Disc Stacks. We've been getting a lot of comments lately from people that have been joining in on Disc Stacks. It happens every Tuesday and Friday night at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. You can go to their Facebook page, and they also have it 
1080 uh, high definition over on YouTube. Now, the reason why I mentioned the high definition, Nate, is because if you get on the YouTube, you can kind of get a better view of what some of those discs are in that stack. So if you want to kind of cherry pick for the color that you want, or maybe you see a tie-dye one, you can really pick it up nicely on that YouTube. That's a little inside baseball for you guys that are listening. Uh, but FisherDiscGolf.com has really been a huge supporter of us. Uh, they're a sponsor for the Ledgestone Open, and they, of course, been getting those discs. Um, they got the Wave 1 discs on there. A lot of them are sold out. There is still some of those on there. We know those collector plastic can be a, a real big deal. Um, Fisher Disc Golf uh, team player. Uh, Clint Calvin has been playing real well in some of the recent tournaments. Um, so just happy to see those guys growing. Uh, it's nice to see a small business kind of building themselves up. And for listening to Running It with Nate Sexton, you get some special offers from Fisher Disc Golf. Nate, how do our listeners take advantage of that? It's very easy. You just use our code RUNIT10 at checkout. You can save 10%. It's always free shipping. This is the first time for me during recording of the show. I'm literally on FisherDiscGolf.com right now, and I'm looking at Halo Star TL3. So get there, get 10% off. That's a cool-looking disc. Yeah, absolutely. Those Halo discs are a big deal. And I know that uh, in speaking to Levi and because of this show, he's been hearing it. Uh, we've been talking about it. And he said that they're really trying to uh, step up their Innova game. Uh, the Innova discs go fast over there. Uh, and they, they wanted to stock up and, and get some new Innova plastic in. So uh, I know that they've been working hard on doing that. So uh, you know me, man. If I'm buying discs, I'm buying I'm buying Innova Champion. But um, they've got something for everybody over there. Uh, so check them out, fisherdiscoff.com. And of course, Nate, we cannot forget our friends over at Cab Coffee Roasters. They're the ones that make sure I'm perky and up and ready to do this show late over here on the on the East Coast. And uh, I know that they've been helping you as you're uh, at home chasing a three-year-old around. Uh, Cab Coffee is just doing amazing things. You need to follow them on social media. That's Cab, C-A-B. Uh, that's for Cooper and Brooke. Um, Hudson named it after his uh, his family members. Just an amazing company over there. Hudson is an awesome guy, and he is currently working on maybe doing a disc golf-related blend. I don't want to let too much information out right now, but uh, he's a huge disc golf fan. I know he bags a Sexton Firebird because he showed it on one of his live videos uh, the other day. Check out Cab Coffee Roasters. We really appreciate their support here. And uh, Nate, I know you've really been enjoying the coffee. Yeah, I only drink it every morning now. I mean, it's it's really good, man. I've, I've been brewing a pot every morning. My wife and I are having it uh, when she's around long enough. She sometimes leaves really, really early. But I certainly have been having cab coffee every single day and uh, have really been liking it. So, again, you got our code. You got Run It 10 over there to save 10% on your first order. And also, I gotta, I gotta let the listeners know, uh, because of my schedule, you know, this show starts for me at 7 p.m. Pretty convenient. Jarrett from Buffalo, you know, that's East Coast time. This guy's starting the show every week at 10 p.m. So thanks, Cab, keeping him in the game. Uh, and thanks, Jarrett, for being flexible and uh, doing the show so late on your coast. No, absolutely. Like I said, Cab Coffee's been, been helping me out with it. And he's working on a new blend right now. I don't even know if I'm supposed to leak this, but I'm going to put it out there, Nate. He tells me it's an Ethiopian and Brazil so um, it, it should be a, an interesting blend, and uh, who knows, man? You know we're number three in Malaysia. Maybe we can get on the maybe we can get on the map over in Ethiopia for 
for sports podcasts. Well, I hope so. <laughs> guys, check out Cab Coffee Roasters. And uh, Hudson, we thank you guys so much for your support. Uh, Cab Coffee Roasters on Instagram and Facebook. Or you can check us out on the Running It with Nate Sexton show pages. Uh, I'm constantly sharing updates from all of our sponsors. Nate, we're coming off a great show. Uh, we had Stork on with us, and he told some great stories. Fans are really digging it. I'm still getting feedback all the way up until like an hour ago. Uh, I just got another message from somebody who says how much they're really enjoying uh, what we're doing here and kind of going back into the history and talking to some of the, the folks that have kind of paved the way. Now, we're not going as far back as Stork, but once again, you've set up a a Hall of Fame episode for our listeners. Nate, who are we running it with today? Yeah, we are lucky. We've got one of the most successful disc golfers of all time, without question. We've got the five-time world champion in disc golf and also the 2019 overall Frisbee champion, Juliana Corver. Hello. Thank you so much for joining our show. We're really excited to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. We, we keep it conversational here, as you know, but I, I just kind of wanted to get started by, you know, I don't personally know really your your kind of disc golf origin story. I know you joined the PDGA in 1992 and you were kind of playing in the Iowa area. Um, what brought you to disc golf? And uh, and just tell me kind of how, how things started for you in, in that sport. I found disc golf when I was in college, uh, sort of fell into it with... A couple of different people that I knew talked about it, and eventually uh, one of them, we found ourselves out at a course together, or I'm sorry, just out at a park together, and he had his frisbees with him, and uh, I quite frankly kept making fun of him about it because I didn't know anything about the sport. And he, <laughs> he got sick of it, and he said, okay, Corver, pick something out. And so I pointed at a grouping of three evergreen trees, and... He pulled out a red condor, still remember that, did his run-up, threw it at these trees. The trees that I pointed at were approximately 300 feet away, and mid-flight, I kid you not, I fell in love with the sport. Wow, that's pretty cool. So so he was decent, because that... He he was arguably arguably the best player in the state of Iowa at the time. Okay, yeah, there we go, because otherwise, yeah, yeah, I was going to say, you know, you never know, (laughs) just some college kid... Uh, could could go either way. You could be like midway through. I realized this was a total waste of time because it just went straight into the ground. But that's great that you had somebody who uh could throw well. Did you have like frisbee experience in any way uh, at that Zero. point? Or none. Not okay. At all. Okay. No, I, I have no memory of throwing a frisbee before I was introduced to disc golf. I don't know if I did or not, but it was not something. That I that's regularly did. Certainly didn't stick with you, just like some random PE class or something. No, I, I'm almost certain that it was never something that we did in PE. I mean, I was yeah. extremely active as a child. I grew up in the country on 15 acres. I climbed trees all day long. I played with my older brother, uh, rode horses, ran around. We did all the traditional baseball, softball, football, you know, whatever you could do with just one other person in the yard and whatever equipment we had. Uh, but I never recall throwing a Frisbee back then. But one throw was enough to kind of have you saying, oh, man, I I guess this isn't silly and I want to give this a try. Yeah, and I didn't even throw it. I just saw somebody else throw it. And I knew because I had pointed out the object, I knew exactly what he was aiming at. And I could tell mid-flight, I could anticipate the flight of his disc. And I could tell that it was going to land 
very in close proximity to what I had pointed at, which it did. And it was quite frankly, it was gorgeous, you know, yeah. watching him control that object at a long distance. And I turned to him immediately and I said, teach me how to play. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, I, I think all of us kind of know that feeling of, uh, of just seeing that kind of perfect shot and, and the glide. And, and I just like the idea of just like, yeah, the planning, like you're saying, like it's a, you pick the thing. He doesn't know what it's going to be. It's a plan. It's like make a plan. Your body executes it. And then just to see it come to fruition is a, is a fun thing. That's exactly right. Well, cool. So it didn't take you very long. Uh, the 1995 amateur world championship, Cincinnati, Ohio, you were able to win that. So you'd played a little bit, you know, amateur tournaments, quite a few actually, uh, in your area. And then, yeah, what do you remember from that event? You Was that kind of your first really big one, or or uh, how, how do you recall it? Yeah, I, I'd say that was my first. So one thing that I really recall about that event is it was an amateur-only world championships, which now I think is probably the norm. I mean, I'm not – I don't have my pulse on the sport as much as I used to, but there was a time when the pros and the ams would go together, but – my 1995 AM World experience was not that. It was just the AMs, and it was amazing because for the first time ever, I was on a spot. I was spotlighted. Yeah. You know, for the first time ever, there weren't players better than I, than my group or or the, men, the the similarly the men's group, and so it it was something that I'd never experienced before, and um, while well, I really enjoyed as well having people specifically go there to watch our group play. Yeah. That, how many people do you feel like were there? Like, did it feel um, like, not very many, not very many at all, but sure. still, but sure. still, you know, we were, we were the draw. We were important. Yeah, and, absolutely. And before it was just like, well, okay, we'll take care of you, but really it's these guys over here that, that everybody is interested in. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. And then I'm I'm assuming after that it was just professional events from there. I mean, once you're the champion, not a lot of reason to to go back into the amateur ranks. Yes, I I turned pro as soon as I won that event. Okay, so then it again, your your ascension remained fast. I mean, obviously your talent kind of showing through there for for being an athlete and and being able to throw these things just exactly how you wanted to because jumping forward to 1997, and looking into some of your results, uh, the Pro Worlds in Charlotte, North Carolina. I just kind of wanted to hit you with this statistic and get your take on it. We already we already know you're the five-time world champion. So people at home, this is not really a spoiler. She's going to win a couple of these things. Uh, 1997, you didn't win. You took fourth place, and you and you, that's great. But you were 31 shots behind Elaine King, who is another of the you know the greatest players ever to play, who we also need to get on this show quite soon. Then 1998, you're, you get your first win again in Cincinnati. So I got to think you like those courses. But either way, you, one year later, you're beating Elaine by 13 from 31 back in 1997 to 13 ahead in 1998. And obviously, somebody can have a great week and a, or a bad week. But did it really feel like you had like made some kind of leap in between those two tournaments, or or am I kind of reading into that too much? But being no, 31 I back and then 13 ahead. No, I definitely feel like my game took a big step forward. So I don't know how much of this is real and how much of this I have changed my own narrative to match what happened. But the way I remember it is I, I was very goal oriented. I had my goals written down. I didn't share them with the outside world, maybe one or two people. 
but I knew what I wanted to accomplish. I didn't necessarily know how long it was going to take, but the way that I remember it, my first year in the pro world, I wanted to make the first cut. My second year, I wanted to make the second cut. And then my, I, I don't think in the beginning I was, I was quite brave enough to say, and then my third year, I wanted to win it. But I'd made all of those particular goals. So my first pro worlds, I was eighth that or 12th. I don't remember how many cards they took. I was the last person that made the first cut, but I didn't make the final nine. And then my second year at Charlotte, which you mentioned, I was fifth going into the last round that everybody, or the, the first cut round, which was, you know, eight or 12. And I remember, (laughs) I still remember who I beat out. I beat out Amy Beckin, Amy Schiller now, uh, to make it to the final nine card. So Charlotte was my first final nine at a world championships. So for me, that was 100% a win. That's what I wanted. That's what I went there to do. That's the experience that I wanted to gain. Yeah, I, I would think almost everyone there probably would have thought that as well. I mean, you're still uh, nearly a rookie at that at that point. I mean, second year kind of in as a pro, that's pretty incredible to be already in that final four grouping at the World Championships. So the thing that happened in 1998, prior to my first World's title, I I beat Elaine at an eight year. <laughs> that's what happened. Um, I didn't know that I could do it yet. Yeah. I was at the in-flight open and I tied her in regulation and we went into a playoff and I won the playoff. And that sort of cemented the fact that I can do it. Yeah. I mean, that's absolutely so important to have the, just to dare to dream kind of, you know, it's like, you when you have a like a titan like her you know you kind of see her as like unbeatable i suppose as you're starting yeah, out oh i absolutely d- did initially uh-huh yeah so wow that was that was the difference well and of course my game improved and i i i figured out as the years went by better ways to practice you know initially it was like okay i'll just go play around well actually that was never the case for me <laughs> i didn't i didn't play very many rounds uh for one thing there weren't courses on every corner. And I also thought it was a little bit of a waste of time to go to a course and play. I would just go to a field and throw. Um, I didn't have all the time in the world. I was in grad school at the time. So I was, I was working to put myself through grad school and studying to do as well as I could in my classes. So this was not at the forefront. I mean, it was definitely the first thing besides those two things. It was a hobby. Yeah. Yeah, sure. And and that makes perfect sense. I mean, it the game and I I mean I guess I'll, I will get to this, but yeah, I mean the game wasn't really in a place where even even the men probably didn't really have much of a shot at, at making it a full-time career. Uh all but a, a handful perhaps. I mean, at at that time in disc golf. Well, I think even those who wanted to be on the road. It wasn't, I want to be on the road because this is what I want to do for a living. It's like, Hey, let's go have some fun and let's go play disc golf while we're doing it. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. So then, you know, fast forward, you, you win 1998, you win 1999, you win 2000, you win 2001. So now you're in the conversation for one of the greatest players of all time, uh, pretty quickly, you know, after winning four world championships in a row. 
you know, that was never a conversation back then. That that just wasn't, maybe it wasn't a conversation anybody ever had with me, but I don't ever remember anybody talking about that particular gravity yeah. of, of anyone, even of Climo at the time. Huh. Yeah, interesting. Even, but Climo would have been just coming off nine straight or something. That's, exactly, yeah, and interesting. yet I still, I still have no memory of anybody speaking that way about him. Maybe they, maybe they didn't want to jinx you. I gotta think people were having those <laughs> conversations when you weren't in the room. <laughs> that well, would be. Well, it is true that I was probably an order of magnitude more uh, shy back then than I am now. So I, I did not spend a lot of time um, in social settings. Sure. Well, I I, uh, I took a look at those four seasons uh, that, without a doubt, have to be some of the most dominant golf that's ever been played. Uh, and I, you played 114 tournaments, and I I, I know you're not going to know these stats, so I wanted to quiz you and just see what what your memory versus reality. You played 114 tournaments over four seasons. How many how many wins do you think you got? Uh, ninety. 107 out of 114. How many times do you think you finished outside the top three? Once. Zero. So just mind-boggling. 107 wins, five second places, two-thirds. At this point, you're you're done with grad school. You must have been because you're playing 30 tournaments, right? Uh, it, uh, and were you working at the time or you're just pretty much on the road, right, uh, through some of this? <laughs> After grad school, I started teaching night classes, so I had more time to play frisbee. Okay, so you were so you were like still kind of weekend warrior and get back and and teach when in between and and have yeah, some and time. I, and I had my summers, so I okay. I didn't I uh, sold the house, quit the job in two thousand. Okay, before the two thousand season. So well, yeah, yeah, for the two thousand season. That's right. Okay, but yeah, I I just couldn't. I mean, I don't know. I, was it ever was it ever boring i guess <laughs> just like it's incredible how the the domination is i don't think we'll ever see anything like that again well uh, gosh so you you tell me those stats and yes they sound spectacular but i still think about losing browns and bows in 99 that's <laughs> well, all that, i think about that in makes, 99 i think that's i think you wouldn't be alone in among like the greatest athletes in their sports to you know cuz like why well, remember one of 107 wins, you know, like the world championships. Sure. Those are, those are memorable. But other than that, I mean, the winning is the norm, you know, second place is like, what just happened? You know, yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, I, so that doesn't surprise me that, that the, the losses stick with you more. Yeah. I was devastated with the second place, completely devastated. Wow. So, I, I mean, I don't even, I didn't have time to crunch any numbers like this, but your average margin of victory must've been astounding just to be able to, have such consistency over those four seasons. I, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't know, know the margin of victory over the four years, but I do know it for my, my best season in 99. Well, actually you tell me in a margin of victory, do you, do you include the tournaments that you don't win? Oh, like as a negative? Yeah. Uh, I don't care. Okay. If yeah. You, you don't need to. If you include it, it was 18 strokes. If you don't include it, it's 19 strokes. Wow. On average, man. That's crazy. And, and, and so what was your, um, like once you, once you decided to kind of go full time, what was your travel situation? Like, were you, were you doing the RV thing or was cars or, or how did it go? 
I had an RV for about 15 minutes. <laughs> Is that real? 15 minutes? Oh, Here we go. It's, it's Here a total, we go. total exaggeration. But um, <clears throat> so without getting into too much detail, uh, partially because of my personality and being scared of the world, I married my boyfriend in grad school and it wasn't a good choice. And we knew that we weren't really working out and we thought change of scenery might either make or break us. And so we went on tour in an RV, totally broke us very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, uh, probably, gosh, I don't even know if it was a month, two months in and we split up and I gave him the choice of the truck or the RV and he took the RV and went home. So I was left in the truck. Oh, wow, man. That must've been pretty difficult. We, Wow. We, we have a kind of like a, a running joke on the show, um, where we kind of ask people not relationship related, but like RV horror stories, like problems with the physical RV. Did you, did you have any like that that you can share with us? Our, our, the fans would be jumping down my throat if I didn't ask. No, because we didn't have it long. I didn't have it long enough. To, well, to you can do you can get you can do it pretty quick. You'd be surprised, but okay, well, <laughs> but, no, but was, yeah, well, you must have been good. There was one time that my my then husband was trying to back up, and we had the truck uh, hitched behind the the RV, and it's just a blessing that there wasn't anybody anywhere near because that truck was not going close to where it should, and. <laughs> <laughs> I, I you know to be honest you know I, I I say that he to be funny that he left me in a parking lot in Great America in Chicago with a truck and he went home with the RV but I'm actually grateful that he did because I would have been pretty intimidated to be driving that thing around by myself and being in the truck forced me to reach out to my friends all around the country my disc golf friends and um which was very healthy for me yeah. to be able to be embraced by the disc golf family at that point. And I mean, all the more impressive that with all the personal turmoil, you still just kept right on winning. Well, that's what I knew how to do. Yeah, I suppose so. I suppose so. Wow. So then uh, the next kind of evolution of your career that I sort of noticed in perusing your um, your PDGA results is like from, from 2007 on, it's just either zero or maybe five or two, just a couple tournaments and, and not, not any judgment about that. That's totally fine. But kind of what, what led you to sort of step away from uh, disc golf at the highest level? Well, I'm going to back up a little bit to talk about my state of being when I got into it and then how it changed when I got out of it. Yeah, please. So growing up, uh, I was in every available physical endeavor possible. You know, I, I did every single sport. I, um, I w- I've always loved athletics. I've always loved competing. I went to a very small school, 54, give or take 54 people in my graduating class. And so everybody had to do everything or you wouldn't have a team. So, uh, you know, in high school, I had 13 varsity letters. I played a couple of sports my freshman year in college. Then I transferred to a larger uh, school and didn't think that I was good enough to play sports there. So I didn't even try. So my sophomore and junior year, I, I had no sports outlet. My senior year, before the senior year started, that's when uh, Jason Steffen, the guy that 
through that red condor and, and made me fall in love with the sport, showed me how to play. And so I found disc golf not knowing that I was craving an athletic outlet. So disc golf filled that for me at the time. Yeah. And then, you know, fast forward to 2006 is when I, I consider myself stopping. Okay. My, my pro career. I mean, I know I played a few events here and there afterwards, but I wasn't playing. I, you know, I'd, oh, we're going to be here. Okay. I'll play that. Oh, we're going to be there. Yeah. Okay. I'll go do that. Oh, we want to, we're being asked to host the disc golf cruise. Yeah. Okay. I'll play that. Yeah. But I, I wasn't practicing. I wasn't, I didn't have any goals. <laughs> sure. You know, there's nothing written, da- written down. So by the time we get to 2006, first of all, I'm now really craving more of an intellectual outlet instead of this. I, I kind of, I crossed off all my go- goals and nothing was changing. It was the same tournament with the same, you know, four to eight women for the same very small amount of money. And it, it was awesome when I started and I love, loved every bit of it. And I'm so grateful I had the opportunity, but boy, I did not want to keep doing it year after year. Yeah. And I I mean, I can, I can absolutely understand that. I, I don't, I think, you know, what are you going to do? Write down on the paper, win worlds by 50, you know, like, yeah. it's when, like, it you, does, you've done it. <laughs> for me, it doesn't work if you put a goal down and then you write again. That, that's yeah, not a sure. goal. Sure. And yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think it's, I, I respect the, the ability to make that decision because it's, it's difficult to walk away from something that you're the best at, you know, like well, it's, th- that's, a, that's, a, that's not an easy thing. There was another part of it too. Um, I was anything but invisible in disc golf. Sure. Most, most of my life, (laughs) my favorite position was just on the outside. So I could participate if I wanted to, but mainly I could just watch and feel a part of it without being in the middle of it. And that was impossible for me in disc golf. You accidentally played too good. (laughs) And I liked having eyes on me when I was playing, but the second the round was done, it wasn't unusual for people to congregate around me, and I was incredibly uncomfortable. Yeah, that that makes sense. And I I, I mean, you can't really fault them. They're fans, and they they want to be around somebody incredible, but but totally. I'm, I'm absolutely grateful that, you know, that they did that and I had that and I've, you know, I have literally, I have friends all around the world and I have a network two, three orders of magnitude larger than I ever dreamed I could have. So, you know, I have, I have gotten more out of disc golf than, than I could have ever imagined. And I'm grateful, but that doesn't mean that, um, I crave that position. I, it's just, I just needed a break. I, I needed to step back and I needed to do something else. And then I never intended on this to be, you know, uh, something I do for the rest of my life. Well, take back, I take that back. I did intend to play for the rest of my life. I just didn't intend to be that person. For the rest yeah. Of my I mean, life. yeah, it's, it's, uh, 
you want to just live on the road for your life. I mean, not, I don't think many people do. It's like you, you do your time. You have if you're, if you're supremely talented and things go well, you might have a career half as good as yours. And otherwise, you know, it's just, you go out there, you do your best. And, but I don't think it lasts. It does, certainly doesn't last forever for anybody. So I, I was just curious about how that all went. I don't, I, I totally understand uh, where you're coming from. And, and I think your rationale for making those choices uh, and, and kind of just stepping back a little bit, it makes, makes perfect sense to me. Uh, so then I guess, you know, after you were, well, actually, I, actually the thing I do want to tell you also before I get there, but while we're still in the early 2000s, because I started playing in 2000 and I don't know if I've, I, don't, I probably have never shared this with you. It's not that important of a story, but I think you might get a, a little laugh out of it is that when I would go my parents would take me to like a tournament on the weekend, like a camping trip. We would play like four or five a year or something back when I was an amateur. And the, the ritual was as we went out of town, it would be stop at the sporting goods store. And I need one four time JK Valk. (laughs) And that was my workhorse for the whole tournament. So you, I mean, I had never met you, but you were definitely somebody who I was like, Oh my gosh, four world championships. Like, what like this is a, you know and and that was my number one money disc and every time i would go to a tournament for a year or two it would be like well you know because we were i wasn't playing all the time it'd be like a, you know a month or two in between or, or a few weeks and i was hitting the practice course a lot so i would just all i needed to, to do well was one brand new jk valk so very heartwarming yeah so sharing. definitely <laughs> definitely you played a part in the in the beginning of my career and just kind of opening my mind to the possibility of like whoa you can get that hardcore and get and be a world champion like you know because to me it just kind of felt like oh there's those baskets down at the park oh yeah i guess there's guys in the next town over that play interesting you know and, but i didn't really perceive um the top level except through those words and your name being written uh, on the disc. So I, I wanted to share that with you. But uh, beyond that, uh, kind of more recently, uh, in, the, in the last five, six, seven, I'm not even sure years, your passion has sort of shifted into the overall stuff and all the different disciplines and, and different Frisbee sports. And I was curious if you could tell us a little more about how that kind of came into your life and, uh, and you evolved to, uh, again, unsurprisingly, have a whole lot of success there as well. Yeah, I started training for overalls in late 2013. So I went to a DDC-only event in Phoenix in October of 2013, um, primarily to go see my dad, who lived, lived in Phoenix at the time. And I, I still remember sending an email to Harvey Brandt, who was the tournament director, and basically asking him permission to sign up for the event because I... I knew enough about DDC that I knew I was terrible at it. <laughs> and I wanted to make sure that the real players wouldn't be mad at me stepping on the court because I had no skill. And <laughs> he, he he adamantly said, no, absolutely, come on down, play with us. We'd love to have you. And so I went to that tournament and, um, gosh, I don't even remember, must have been like a round robin, they call it kind of a king of the court, because I don't even, I'm sure I didn't have a partner. Anyway, um, that weekend, I ended up finding myself between uh, John Kirkland and Rick LeBeau 
like every second of being off the court and both of them telling me, you need to get into overalls. You need to get into overalls. You need to start playing overalls. It was just nonstop. And uh, coincidentally, my job was taking me to San Diego shortly after that event. I was doing a lot of traveling for my job at that time. And I was going to be in, in San Diego for a month or two. And so both Rick and uh, John Kirkland, who in my household is JK1, I'm JK2 in my own household. <laughs> uh, so so JK and, and Rick made sure that I would contact them so that we could start practicing. And so I started training with Rick um, shortly after that. And in 2014, that next year, I went to my first big overall tournament. I believe it was a U.S. Open. So the overalls, there's only one big overall tournament every year, and it's either a U.S. Open or a WIFDIF. And the WIFDIF tournament, uh, World Flying Disc Federation, the WIFDIF tournament holds the world's title, and the U.S. Open is, you wouldn't know the difference going to one or the other, but the U.S. Open doesn't always hold the world title. It's kind of confusing. There used to be enough players that there were overall events, at least quarterly, if not weekly, um, all across the country. But unfortunately... You're talking like 70s, 80s kind yes, of time I, period. I definitely am, yeah. Yes. I, before before I was involved, but um, boy, I wish I wish I had been around for, for that part of it. Anyway, um, I had actually been to an Arizona State's, I think, 2000 or 2001, but I was just a disc golfer at the time. And again, I was there because my dad lives there. And I thought, hey, you know, I, I can throw a Frisbee. I'll go try some of these other things. And some of them are pretty relatable. I mean, any disc golfer is going to be able to go enter a, a distance competition. Sure. And any disc golfer is going to be able to probably do pretty well in the accuracy competition. Uh, similarly, discathon, that ports pretty well, especially if you're in decent shape. Um, give our give a really quick. Uh, just tell our listeners what discathon is. Okay, discathon is a timed event, and there is an obstacle course that your frisbee must traverse. So there will be flags, might be a tree, a fence post, a bench, and your your frisbee has to go to the right of this one, to the left of that one, under that, through that. But you don't. So. If you can throw a big hyzer around the tree that you have to go to the right of, you can just run straight and you have to let your... Actually, I don't even know if you can catch your disc or not. Anyway. Um, <laughs> that would have to be a very, very high throw. We'll get to we'll get to catching your own throws in a, in a little bit, yeah. I, I think. Yeah. So so the more interesting shots, like you might do a, a cut roller, two-finger cut roller, so that it goes around something on the right-hand side, or, oh, here, I'm going to... I'm going <laughs> to... I was just going to say a scuba, but this is not the the Brody Smith cutting <laughs> scuba. This is the old school <laughs> overall scuba, which is a, a backhand a backhand grip thrown over your shoulder, so it would look like the opposite of a two finger cut roller. It would be going the other direction. Okay. Um, so if you have those trick shots, then you can make your disc go around the obstacles that you desire without having to run as far. Or if you don't, you know, you just throw straight and run and pick it up and throw the next one. And 
So that's Discathon. And traditionally, it finishes with a quote-unquote lake. Usually it's um, man-made with ropes. And it always makes it really exciting if it's a close match because uh, you have to throw... In Discathon, you're, most people throw uh, Zephyrs. So, you know, you're not throwing these discs 400 feet. And the lake will be big enough that it's a pretty good chuck to get it over and you have to get through like a goalpost to finish. So the lake is OB and you have to have, you start with three discs, you have to have um, two to finish. So if you go OB once somewhere on the court, you can't pick your disc up. And now do you go over the lake? Because if my, my disc goes into the lake, I'm done. I can't finish the course. Oh, wow. I'm disqualified. So it's, it's, it's always fun when, when there's two people that are close and one chooses to go over and one chooses to just go around with short shots. Anyway, it's, it's a really, really fun event to watch. It's not the most fun event to participate in because, of course, you're exhausted. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's very exciting. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you so much. I'm sorry to, <laughs> sorry to derail you and, and, and get that, but I think our, our audience is, uh, primarily disc golf as you might ex expect and we want to always make sure people have a sort of an idea of what the conversation is talking about certainly yes yes well and i'm sure that many disc golfers out there have played running rounds you know it's not the same yeah. thing but it gets you sort of primed for the same thing you know it's it's throwing while your your heart rate is elevated yeah so. great yeah so i think we're we're talking kind of a you you had seen that very first uh, overall in 2000 or so, but oh, yeah, you were just, yeah. yeah. I, so I competed in that one, and it didn't have all seven events. It just had, it didn't have Discathon. It probably had everything else. Um, so, you know, I was aware of it, but this was, 2014 was the first big overall that I was going to, and I was prepared. Yeah. So I was, I, I knew what to expect. I was ready for the events. Well, I was ready for six of the events, <laughs> six of the seven events. And, and that was my first introduction to the big, <laughs> big is in quotes world of overall. Yeah, sure. And I assume the, the one you weren't ready for was freestyle. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Okay. And now you're ready. So in 2014, um, because it was a U.S. Open, it was, primarily U.S. players. There were a couple of Swedish players that came over. I think there might have been a couple of women that came over as well um, from Sweden. Uh, Sweden has a, a very big overall contingency still. I mean, as far as I know, actually, I don't know if they're still doing it now, but back in 2015, you know, they would, they would have uh, like week-long camps where you go to work with other people, with coaches for the different events. So they've, they've always been very, very strong in the overalls. Um, let's go back. So we're, we're now at the 2014 U.S. Open, and I do, I do very well in the first six events. Freestyle is traditionally the last event, mainly because you can just sit down and relax and watch the show. Yeah. And mathematically, I had already won the event. Oh, wow. Okay. You get points. It may, maybe it's not obvious. Um, seven events, you get points based on how many people you beat in each event. So if there are 10 people, you take first, you get 10 points. 
second place gets nine points, third place, so on. Um, mathematically, I had already won. I didn't even have to compete in freestyle, but that felt like I should, it felt like it should be a requirement to win an overall that you have to play in all of the events. It's not, but that's just the way that I felt. Brave. And so, <laughs> so I, um, I did compete in freestyle. I could nail delay just because back in the days when I was golfing, most events would have a couple of people jamming at lunch, you know, back in the day when we, it was when most tournaments had two rounds and you had a, an hour or an hour and a half at lunch, a couple of people would bring out a lid and start freestyling. So I had a little bit of an introduction to it and I could do a couple of things, but I hadn't lined up a partner. And so the girl that I played with couldn't even throw enough spin that I could delay it. So we just played catch and it was fine and it was fun and everybody was appreciative. <laughs> but in the back of my mind, it was like, that's not going to happen again. That's embarrassing. I, I need to be able to have a proficiency in all of the events if I want to consider myself an overall champion. Yeah. I mean, and if we've learned anything through your, your stories and your life so far, you're not really about the halfway. You're, you're, you're kind of more, once you're there, once you're going for something, you're going for it for real. So that's, that makes perfect sense. I think that you would want to get better. And I, I, I just want to clarify for the listeners that when she says nail delay, that just means spinning the disc on your fingernail. So yes, sorry uh, about that. Yes. Yeah. No, no problem. But just to get, get everyone on the same page. So yeah, then, you know, now 2019 world overall champion, right? Again. So, uh, I guess not again, cause it was a U.S. open the first time, well, but, uh, that's kind of your your go-to sport now, right? I have won every overall event since 2014. Every big oh, overall wow. event. Oh, wow. So I have four of them have been WIFDF. So I have four world titles. And oh, then that's, that's, that's my fault on the research end. It's a little <laughs> bit – I'm not as familiar with where to go. Like with PDGA, I'm a wizard on the website. I know right you where know, to go to see the statistics I want to find. But I had a little bit harder time just because I'm not really living in that world. Uh, finding your statistics for overalls. That world doesn't really have a platform in which it displays this information. So, so I don't need to feel too bad. Absolutely not. I would be surprised. Okay, great. Well, I would have expected that you had um, talked to some other overall player if you had known. There's, I don't think sure. that you could have figured it out on your own. <laughs> sure. Okay. Wow. So yeah. So you. Yeah. Okay. So again, even more. I was kind of like a a half tongue-in-cheek joke to say unsurprisingly you found a lot of success but holy cow yeah okay okay so yeah winning them all great <laughs> all the success all the yes. success <laughs> every uh, last and, every last bit and for those who aren't familiar um juliana on her instagram and on her facebook she shares some of the amazing things that she can do with a disc and in preparation for this show i thought i would kind of give it a whirl too um <laughs> i need a new tv yeah and and we would definitely love to if you have any uh i know you have a lot of like videos of you practicing different freestyle moves but if you would be willing we would love to post uh one of those to show our listeners on our social media just a little bit more about what exactly it is that you're doing when you're freestyling of course of course so it's it's really interesting to me how much um positive feedback I've gotten from the freestyle. I mean, I, 
I started documenting my journey in freestyle pretty early. So in 2015, I started practicing a tiny bit, you know, not obsessing about it at all. And the 2015 WIFDIF tournament was in Sweden. The week before we went to Oslo and we were staying with Sune Wenzel, who is a former overall world champion and also a very good freestyler. So he, in his social media, has a following of freestylers. And we went out and played a little DDC and freestyle and he took some video and he kind of moved around. So it made it look more dynamic than it actually was. And I like did the three moves that I w could do reasonably well at the time. You know, I, I, I was very elementary still, but I could do a couple of things that looked kind of dynamic with, with his right angles and, and lighting. And he posted it to his Facebook page and it got a lot of attention from the freestyle world. There aren't a lot of new players, especially American players. It's pretty big in Europe, actually, freestyle is, but it's, it's dying, unfortunately, uh, in the US, it feels like. And the video got a lot of attention. And one person wrote on there, would you like to be my mixed doubles partner at the FPA, which is Freestyle Players Association World Championships next year in Rochester, New York? So immediately I go to Sune and I said, do you know who this is? Do you know who this guy is? Is is yeah? Is it okay for me to say yes and, and to play with him? And the, the guy's name was Randy Sylvie. He is just a, fin a phenomenal freestyler and a very, very... Uh, charismatic player. He's he's very dramatic um, in a, a humorous way during his his routines. And yeah, so everybody said if he'll if he's going to play with you, you know, absolutely do it. And so I wrote back and I said, I think you're probably joking, but if you're not, yes, because <laughs> I had <laughs> I had I had 13 months to practice, so I don't. I'm still not quite certain if if he really thought that I would take him up on this, but um, calling him out like that, I mean, he put it, put it on a public post. So yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think he, I think he was hopeful. I don't think you say that if you, if you he, don't want the answer to be yes. Yeah. He, so he stood by it and I promised myself that I would practice 10 hours a week for the next 13 months. And um, we put together a routine that I'm very proud of. we, didn't make it to the semifinals at the Worlds in, uh, that would have been 2015. But we then re redid the routine again for the, um, for another big tournament the next year that was in Austin, Texas. And we actually won that one together. So that was my, that was the impetus for me to start really practicing. And I had, I had a goal, you know, I, I, if I was going to commit to this guy to playing in the world championships, I was going to um, be much better than I was at that time. I was going to have the skills to be able to work with somebody else and create something that we could both be proud of. Wow. Yeah. 10 hours a week is not messing around either for a, for a person who's working. I mean, that's a, that is a lot of practice that you put in. Well, you know, it, I can see how that sounds either like not much at all or, or like a lot, but, um, it was what I could 
what I could do. And, you know, at the time I'm, I'm still very much concentrating on the other overall events. So it is hard to practice for seven events. It is very hard to practice for seven events. Um, so the year before DDC was my, what I was dedicating myself to. And then starting in 2015, it was freestyle. And I stuck with the freestyle for, um, basically up until six months ago, I was still putting that much work into it. Um, every single day. Wow. I, I've definitely been able to kind of, you know, what you've, what you've shared on social media kind of watch from afar. And I, obviously I'm like a total newbie with freestyle stuff. Like I don't really know anything, but just seeing, seeing you do progressively more and more impressive things. It's been fun to watch. Well, that's, that's, I think I got off track. I think I meant to say that when I started, I, you know, I started documenting what I was doing. And part of the reason I started documenting it, well, first of all, it was for the disc golfers and that community more so than the freestylers. Cause compared to the freestylers, I was very, very, um, low in my skill level. And I kind of wanted to show disc golfers, look at, I'm really bad at this, <laughs> but I'm going to work really hard and who knows what's going to happen. And so I, you know, I, I, I didn't just show the good stuff. I, I oftentimes show a lot of the, the outtakes <laughs> and the, the stuff that I miss. And, um, I don't know. I just, I just wanted disc golfers to have a window into another disc discipline. Um, and just to see, I don't know, hoping that maybe they'd try it or maybe they'd enjoy watching it or, or I don't know. I just, uh, another part of it is, I've had a lot of disc golfers sort of imply that things have come easily. And I, I, I just wanted to show that it's, you know, there's nothing special about me. It's just that I put in this work and you can put in the work as well. And I can't promise you how long it's going to take, but if you work hard enough, you can get to wherever that line is in the sand that you've drawn. Two things. Put it, just putting in the work is a special thing about you, I, I would say. And the other thing I would say is you say, oh, I wanted to document this and, and I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And I think w w at speaking for disc golfers, we kind of knew how it was going to go. We knew you were <laughs> going to get really good at it. So that's two, two, also... just two things that come to mind for me. I know you, I, I don't want to, I don't want to belittle <laughs> the work that you put in, but like, I feel like to say, oh, there's nothing special about me. I just dedicated myself and became great at disc golf, dedicated myself, became great at overalls, dedicate myself, become great at freestyle. That is, that is a special thing. The, the thing about freestyle that I never actually put down in writing my goals on freestyle because I thought that I might have started too late. Freestyle is a much more physical endeavor and, you know, I'm 50 years old and I can't, <laughs> I don't bend as easily as I used to. I don't <laughs> jump as high as I used to. And so I didn't know if I could get to the top of the freestyle mountain. Sure. At this age. Sure. And, and where are you on the freestyle mountain? <laughs> I the top the number, of it? I am the number one ranked female in the world. <laughs> oh, weird. <laughs> and I am the current uh, and two-time world champion in mixed pairs and in women's pairs. Wow. That's incredible. Uh, well, the next time... 
the next time I'm in the San Diego area, I hope that you guys will show me a little st- something. I think that would be really fun. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that would be cool. I think, you know, in my experience, I've I've definitely crossed paths and and done a little bit of uh, overall stuff and and DDC and little tiny bits of freestyle and you know, it is it is uh I hope that it can grow, you know. It's like all everyone I've ever crossed paths with that's involved in that stuff is so passionate and they're so excited that you even show any interest in it. They're like, "Oh man, we we got to get this guy. We got to, you know, and it's like that makes sense because it's like, you know, a huge part of their lives that they love and it and it used to be a little bit more popular than it is now and i think probably you're doing a, a great job of kind of uh, showing some people you know that that that's still something you can aspire to and and try to uh participate in it it has been such a joy for me to be able to learn new disc disciplines i i love uh i love how each one gives you a different challenge yeah you know there's the the timing and the physicality of freestyle and DDC uh, double disc court is actually an incredibly intellectual game. And it's seeing the big picture and being able to run the plays and to know the flight of the disc before it's halfway to your court. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a really fast paced game that doesn't slow down for years and years and years. And once it does, and it's just starting to, for me, it's, it's just so much fun to be in control of, you know, this pairs game. And so DDC, there, there are two positions. There's traditionally, it's called front and back. It's not necessarily the position in the court, but it's who's calling basically the plays. So the back yeah. person sees the big picture and is telling the front person who's going to touch the first disc, basically. Yeah, yeah. if they need to tip it, or if they need to get rid of it quick, or, yes. or if they need to hold it, all that stuff. Yes, and so I'm now working on becoming a back. Most new players, you come in, you play front, you just listen to the guy behind you, and do what they say. And it takes a whole nother level of uh, knowledge and... It, positioning and skill to be able to play that back position and so that's that's my challenge in discathon or in, in double discord right now and just like every other challenge you know i just it's it's amazing how many opportunities there are with a frisbee you know it's it's three-dimensional it's not two-dimensional and it's it just broadens your perspective on on sports i think i just i just love it and i guess i guess all i can say is you know to whoever the number 1 ranked back player is currently your days are numbered so you know enjoy it while it lasts she's she's on her way uh but i i just have one more thing on my notes and then i think we can get to some fan questions if you have time Uh, I just wanted to say uh, that I thought you did a great job on the commentary at the Women's National Championship over there in Rock Hill. And how did you like that experience? And are you interested in doing that again and giving us more of your insights uh, in disc golf in the future? I I very much appreciate that. Um, I was petrified to do that, to be honest. Um, I, I turned down Jonathan multiple times, Jonathan Poole, who asked me to do that. And finally... Um, decided to basically because Hannah Macbeth is uh, just such a calming, <laughs> beautiful presence. 
in everything that she does. And I felt like um, sitting next to her would be a safe space and I could, I could do that. And I'm very happy that I did. Uh, I, to be honest, have not listened to one second of the broadcast because um, I'm sure I will be much more critical than the feedback I have gotten from others. Uh, as far as doing it again in the future, I, I joked with Jonathan and told him that in 2021, I will only turn him down once. <laughs> so persistence will pay off. <laughs> Well, that's great. I mean, I, I remember, I remember sensing that and, and talking to you a little bit after I had my injury and I was kind of be- becoming a commentator in that space too. And, uh, I remember you kind of saying that, that you were feeling nervous about it. And, you know, all, all I felt like saying to you, and I'll say again here is that just like, you just can't be wrong. You're, you're like an unquestionable authority on women's disc golf and you just got to own that. You, it's, uh, it's too late for you to go back. You've already won too many worlds. So, you, so no, you know, it's just when you speak, people are going to listen and, and you're going to be right. Whatever, whatever you say, because you know the game better than anyone listening. So that's, that's kind of the place you got to come from. And, and yeah, I wouldn't worry about listening back to your own commentary. I don't, I'm not interested in doing that either. Thank you. Look at yeah. you, Nate. You you know that you're right now regarded as like the number one commentator in disc golf, and now you're nervous that Juliana's going to come in and take another number one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Know, I better tell her out. You're feeling I, her out. Like, are you sure you want to do this? I mean, you know. I'm texting. I'm actually texting Jonathan Poole right now, just saying I really don't think you should bother Juliana <laughs> asking twice. I mean, isn't twice a little much, Jonathan? Just just if she says no, let's just bat, let's just leave her alone. <laughs> no, absolutely. And yeah, I, I, I thought you did great and I hope you do it again because I think it, the sport, the, the fans are, are richer for having a perspective like yours in the booth. It's, it's really a valuable thing, I think. Well, I, uh, I, I appreciate it. I'm not going to go so far as to say that I enjoyed it, but I was very, very happy that I did it and I felt a, a sense of accomplishment after doing so. So I, I suspect that if asked, I will do it again. You, and did you ever talk, did you, I remember you were going to, Maybe do something with Central Coast. Did that ever come to fruition with Ian? No, the timing didn't work out. I ended up staying in the Raleigh area. My mixed pairs freestyle partner lives there now. And so I stayed there for um, nearly the entire time in which they had to complete that particular project. So I I didn't get in on that. Okay. Well, if you don't mind, I'm going to remind Ian to ask you twice because (laughs) – Honestly, honestly, the post produced is much easier because you, you, you know, your first experience is live. That's that's a little bit more pressure. The post produced thing, I think you might like even more. Uh, but but Jarrett, let's let's get to some fan questions. Yeah, and we we got a a bunch of fan questions that have come in. Um, we actually got a a really cool uh, audio question that came in earlier this week, and I think maybe it was directed kind of just for you, Nate. But while we got Juliana here, she's got all the experience, so uh, let's go to that audio question and have you guys both kind of weigh in on this one. Hey, Nate. Hey, Jared. Hope you guys are doing okay. I'm 15 years old, and I've been playing disc golf for about a year now. And I really like listening to your podcast, and I hope you keep up the great work because you're doing a good job. My question to you today comes about tournaments, and especially the junior tournaments that I like to play in. A lot of times when we find these junior tournaments to play in, we have to drive at least an hour to get in the junior division, 
Um, I really like playing my local courses, but when I want to do a tournament, I have to play in men's divisions. And I was wondering what your guys' thoughts were about adding more junior tournaments to local courses and clubs and other ways to get juniors involved, either through school or other creative ways. Let me know what you guys think. Well, I mean, right off the bat, I'm all for it. It's just, it's, it's just, and thank you for the question. Uh, I think the tough thing is just, you just need the volunteers, you need the clubs, and, and that's something that you can kind of be a part of. I think at whatever level you are, you know, if, whether it be high school or middle school or then into college, it's like, or becoming an organizer and somebody who is is uh is helping that whole thing move forward can be a really great way to start and hopefully you inspire other people but but yeah junior tournaments fantastic uh I, you know i played the junior world championship and i i remember it very very fondly and yeah i, ho- I hope that you'll be able to kind of spearhead some of that stuff in your area you, you don't you're you're definitely not too young to make stuff like that happen and and uh and provide some uh opportunities for other kids to come and uh play in your area and uh that came to us from Jackson Kemper um which i think was uh was really cool to see that we had a 15 year old that was that was tuning in yeah i appreciate um, the question for sure yeah absolutely um all right so we got a a ton of kind of the same question for you, Juliana. So I, I can't give credit to any one person, but the, the, the main question that kept coming in over and over was with seeing how fast the sport is growing and seeing how these prize payouts are just going up and up. Nate had mentioned the $20,000 payout. You ever, you ever think about dusting the old disc golf bag off and, uh, and getting out there and, and giving it a few more tries? Well, I'm, grateful to say that the money doesn't entice me anymore. You know, at the time uh, when I was playing pro, if there would have been a $20,000 tournament, I would have moved heaven and earth to be there. Um, Now I'm perfectly happy watching it on my couch. Um, I love the fact that we have all of these new women playing. And I love the fact that at least there's one event that is paying equal prize money to both the men and the women. Um, but you know, I, I had my, I had my time. Uh, I, I am playing, I think five events this year, which is a lot for me. So I, I feel like I'm doing more. Yeah, I, I actually, it's, I don't, it's not that I feel I am putting more effort into disc golf this year than I have since 20, well, actually, two thousand six, probably. So, and and you just won the memorial. So, congratulations there. That that was pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and it age protected. But thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, who? That's that's your right. I mean, hey, you, <laughs> you don't got to be go messing around with nineteen year olds. You can you you play where you where you fit in for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, my one of the memories that sticks with me, and I, I hope you're you don't mind me sharing this, but uh, was from the that women's national championship. And I was sharing the broadcast booth with you and Hannah and Jonathan gave me the, the big honor of, you know, the, the women's nationals was sort of like a filler because the, the U S women's had been canceled from COVID and then going later into the year, they, they kind of made that happen last minute to give the women a, a, a big stage to compete on. And they gave me this cool honor to be able to go on the live broadcast and like inform the world that was, that was listening and, you and Hannah, that Innova was like making it priority number one to continue that and not take that event off the table. 
And it struck me right then. I mean, you you were like started to cry. You know, yeah, you were like it that. It was that important. It was that important, and you and you felt uh, that you know even removed from the game. You know, and and that's something that I'll always remember. I, I so that hits me twofold. Um, one, seeing the women being covered by the media, uh, the like the the interviews before the events, the interviews after the events. Uh, all of that, it's its just so rewarding to see these women treated like real athletes, which they are, of course, and to be given um, the legitimacy that they are. And I, I'm, it just touches me, and I am so happy to see it. And I, I know there are uh, areas in which things could be improved, but it just feels like we have made such huge steps forward and i i just love watching it yeah and i i mean i don't know i can't i can't even let you say that without saying that you know you were you were the one making the steps you know i feel like you you know maybe you walked on a gravel road and and maybe now they're getting closer to a freeway you know where it's 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 amazing it's great and um and yeah it's like it's a it's a continuation of things that were done before you obviously, but then that you took that torch and, and ran with it. And now we've got even more great champions. So, I, you know, I'm in the same boat with you, just loving watching the game grow. And, and, uh, and yeah, I think it's, it's awesome to see the, the women getting a, a path to it being a career, you know, for the best. Yeah, absolutely. Our next question comes from Frank from the Netherlands. Now, we've got a big reach here, Juliana. I don't know if you've heard, but we're we're the number third largest sports <laughs> podcast in Malaysia. I, uh, I have heard that. <laughs> okay. Right. Wow. Just, so the news is spreading. That's good. <laughs> yeah. I just have to make sure I get that in every week because I enjoy it so much. <laughs> yes. Um, Frank uh, from the Netherlands asks, uh, what was it like when you were standing on the 18th green when Paige won her fifth world title? And did that kind of feel like a passing of the torch moment for you? I didn't go to that event. Uh, I wasn't there all week. I just happened to be within like 200 miles for my job and realized, oh, I don't have to go home this weekend. I can go watch Paige probably win her fifth. And so I changed all my arrangements like three days before that event to make sure that I could be there because I definitely wanted to be there in support of her. Uh, Paige is just beyond words. <laughs> she is so incredible. And I, I don't think I want to say it's a passing of the torch because I feel like she's so far ahead of, of what I ever was that it would be um, insulting to say that I was passing the torch to her. Um, I think that she has already sprinted way ahead and um, I, I just, I guess, I guess I want to make sure that she knows that um, history has her back and uh, is applauding all of her efforts. 107 out of 114. Just, <laughs> I'm just saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, Jordan from uh, Jordan Lane, I'm sorry, from Instagram, uh, wants to know uh, what was your first or maybe most memorable throw with a Valk? I threw the Valkyrie so often, <laughs> so many times. It was my go-to driver for years that I don't know that I have. Wait a minute. 
I bet okay, that was I like I like the way that sounded. Okay, so the most memorable shot for me, nobody else, of course, it wasn't on video, and there was only one other person that necessarily saw this, but I will never forget it, and I'm pretty sure I just started laughing the second that it hit the crux of the shot correctly. So it was hole two USDGC, either 2000 or 2001, I'm not sure which, and uh, the same hole two that, that we played last year. And yep. so I didn't quite get out of the gap of the trees. I turned it over a little bit too much. It, it had gone past all of the tree trunks, hit the the um, tree limbs on that last tree on the right-hand side. And by the way, those trees have been cleared up a lot. They used to hang down much, much lower than they did last year. So I was just on the right-hand side past that big tree trunk. And the only possible way I can get up and down in two from there is if I threw a, threw a full-out drive. But I had limbs in front of me. They weren't they weren't big, but they were leafy. And there was like, like this halo hole that was about two discs wide and four discs fat that was in the <laughs> perfect place. And I got in there and I'm, I'm behind my lie and I see this and I'm just laughing because it's like somebody is tempting me to do this stupid shot that, you know, this, this hole is... Uh, I don't remember now, 15 feet in front of me, but it's like, you got, you've got to hit something that's four inches wide and 12 inches or, or four inches tall and 12 inches wide with your Frisbee on a specific angle to get to the basket. With full power. Cause you're probably at least like 350 back from the basket. Yeah. yeah with full power. And I, I brought the, it was a local guy that was caddying for me and I brought him in there and I pointed at that and he looked at me like I was crazy. I, but I just wanted somebody to know what that this yeah. was intentional, that there is a shot right there. And I wasn't known for doing crazy stuff. I I always used to say that my biggest strength was I knew my weaknesses and I just didn't get in trouble. But this, I don't know, this was just, the shot was calling to me. And I just, I just felt like I knew I could do it. And so I took a full run up and I aimed at that cap. And I hit it squarely and put it under the basket. And wow. That was, that's like the best shot of my career. And I'm, I don't know that it was with Valkyrie, but it was probably with a Valkyrie. Let's just say it just was. <laughs> wow. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that, that just frustrates me. Um, to, to, <laughs> I, mean, I, I, I miss like full fairways and you're throwing them in these little tiny, these little tiny gaps, but that's okay. Uh, so it's funny. You talked about your strengths and weaknesses because, uh, one of the questions that came into the email, uh, it came in from Scott asked, um, during your disc golf world championship runs, what do you think your strongest point of your game was and what was your weakest at the height of my career my confidence was was pretty solid no matter what was thrown at us uh i'm not kidding if it was if it was wind rain heat well maybe not cold <laughs> uh, uh length tightness whatever it was i would 
literally say, oh, great, that gives me an advantage. Great, that gives me an advantage. Excellent, that's an advantage for me. And I don't know how much of that I willed that into being or how much of that was true, but I there wasn't something that I thought of and like, well, gosh, I really hope I don't get into that situation because I don't know how to get out of it. Um, back in that day, I could get by with just a backhand. I had a short forehand. I, I never developed a forehand drive. And the reason I never did that was because the forehand players at the time all had elbow issues. And I didn't want to do anything that was going to cause long-term damage. Another huh. thing that I, I never did, I never really block out very well on my drives. I know I'm losing distance because of it, but I never wanted to tweak my my knee because I wanted to <laughs> have my knees forever. <laughs> yeah. So there were things that I consciously didn't do because I valued my my body over my play. Um and I'm not I know I've diverged from the answering that question. My my weaknesses and my my strengths. Okay, towards the end of my career, I totally lost my putt. I got the yips. I got in my head. Um, I, my biggest weakness was my mind. I, I got to the point at the end of my career where I thought any single loss basically erases everything I've, I've, I've done to this point. That is a terrible, terrible place to be. Um, so, so what used to be my strength, the, I can do anything superwoman feeling eventually became my Achilles heel. And I was scared that one bad shot would make people think that I was a fraud. As as crazy as it sounds. I mean, yeah, that, I mean, it's real to you. So it's like, no one would ever think that, but it is real to you. And it, it, again, I think just reinforces uh, everything you said about why you stepped back from the game. Cause like, who wants to go through that? I mean, that, that sounds terrible. Well, and I knew, I knew I was capable of succeeding in realms other than athletics. And I knew that I needed to be more than Juliana, the disc golfer. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I'm sure there was a ton of people out there, you know, that would think, Oh my God, you see her miss that putt, those 107 flukes that she, <laughs> that she pulled off. I knew it. Well, there, yeah, the mind is a crazy thing. And I know, I know some, some fears, most fears aren't logical to the outside person, but that doesn't mean that they aren't real to the person that's feeling them. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, the, all right, I won't, oh, go ahead, Nate. I'm sorry. Oh, sorry. The other, just the other silly joke I was going to make was like, oh yeah, I never really bothered to do a forehand, but like, yeah, you, you kind of were winning by an average of 18. So it's like <laughs> at a certain point, it's like, you think so. If it ain't broke, you know, you, no no real reason to uh, push into like a new shot type until somebody forces you to do it. So, yeah. But anyway. I won't crush you. We got a bunch of questions here. Let me just pull out one more that I thought was a, was a real good one here. Um, more special to you, your first overall championship or your first disc golf world championship? Uh, that one came from Jarrett from Buffalo. Oh, it's not even close. First disc golf world championship. By far. Absolutely by far. Um, for one, uh, the competition was much greater in the disc golf world. And I 
you know, had to pull myself up and wasn't sure I could do it and had worked for X number of years. And when I, on the other side of it, when I got into the overall, you know, I already had a pretty high level in a number of the events just because of the work that I had done decades earlier. And not to take away from current overall players, but the sport of overall is sort of aging. And uh, please, all you 20-year-old Ultimate players that are listening to this, come out and take over the ultimate, the overall world. We would love to have you in our ranks and disc golfers as well. Uh, but that's just not where it is right now. So I went into that event thinking that I should win. And if I hadn't, I would have been disappointed in myself. And the, the disc golf world title, uh, I didn't have that level of knowledge and where I fit with the rest of the people I was playing with. It, it, it was a bigger, it was a bigger hill. The disc golf was for sure. Well, it was really, really great having you on the show. I, I just, I really appreciate you stepping out of your comfort zone and joining us and uh, sharing the stories. And I didn't think there was even one awkward silence. So <laughs> don't, don't even, you, you had kind of warned us about that. You said, yeah. Oh yeah, you never know. I'm, you know, and I, I, I wasn't worried and I, and I've been proven right. I'm happy to say. So uh, it was so, such a pleasure talking to you always is. And uh, nothing but respect for for the career that you've had and the and all the work that you've done to push disc golf forward in your life, at disc golf and frisbee sports in general. I should say I appreciate all of it and uh, just want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you very much, Nate. And thank you, Jarrett. Yeah, thank you. This was uh, this was amazing. You were one of the one of the first names that we talked about when we were getting the show going of, of somebody that we had to talk to, and I'm I'm so happy that we were finally able to get you on and and have you tell these stories. And uh, I I really think that the listeners are are going to enjoy this one. I hope so. Thank you very much. Wow, Nate, that was an amazing conversation with Juliana Corver. I know that when we first started getting going on the podcast and we started talking about some uh, potential guests and, and people that we wanted to speak with, her name was one of the first ones that came up. And obviously, uh, I wasn't as familiar with how dominating her statistics were, but hearing you go over some of them, I mean, I was just blown away. 107 out of 114, that's not too shabby, man. It's, it doesn't even seem real. It's amazing. And yeah, it's, it's just cool for me. Like I said on the show, like one of the, one of the earliest names that I knew of, of a professional disc golfer in my career. So really cool to get to talk to her. Clearly one of the best to ever do it. And I love how she just decided like, yeah, you know what? I've done it in disc golf. I'm going to go over and, and try some other Frisbee related things. And I'm just going to dominate all of those as well. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty funny just how she's like, well, you know, I, I guess I'll, I don't know what's going to happen, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my 10 hours a week for 13 months. And it's like, I, can, I have a good idea of what's going to happen. <laughs> You're going to crush. Uh, that's, you know, she's just a talented person. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've been having so much fun with these, uh, these history lessons. Now, I know, you know, Juliana's obviously, um, you know, she doesn't go back to the seventies, but, um, you know, in the, the early mid nineties and, and going straight through, uh, and just kind of hearing some of the people that have paved the way to get the sport to where it is. I know we've been getting a ton of comments. People are really digging these, these history lessons. Don't worry. We're still going to talk to some of Nate's friends from tour. So this isn't always going to be a history podcast, but it's just been a lot of fun hearing some of these stories. 
uh, I got an email and all of you guys are always welcome to email us. It's runningitpodcast at gmail.com. And a few weeks ago, I got an email from a fan who said, uh, hey, what's Nate's favorite color and how can I send a special gift off to him? And that fan was Les Rosenberry and uh, he's from Appalachian Penworks. And I, I asked you and you said, uh, probably orange. Let's go with orange. So I said, okay, well, Nate, you've probably got an orange something coming your way at some point. And that orange something arrived today. Yeah. And the pen works thing we didn't know beforehand. I mean, this no. is it's crazy. I opened the box and it's like a handmade, uh, I'm going to send some pictures over to Jarrett to put on the show account, but like this handmade pen with like firebird it's all orange and it's got like firebird detail in the middle parts of the pen and then it's got like orange jewels on the top and it, man i mean I've, I've never had a connection with a pen before but i think i just i just met my new favorite pen i mean really cool I, I, thank you to less yeah i that was uh that was really neat to have somebody reach out and um I, i'm really looking forward to getting it you sent me a, a quick picture of it today but uh, i'm really uh, looking forward to getting some pictures out so everybody can see this amazing pen that that les put together it was really pretty cool um now nate i don't want you to carry that thing in your in your disc golf bag because i know you always think you can get done with a firebird so i don't want you whipping that thing in a basket this is <laughs> no no this is for fighting, not for I'm, gonna, flying. I, I'm gonna keep it a little a little more careful yeah it's, it doesn't it's it's not going in the disc golf bag we're gonna keep it okay keep it in the kitchen i'm gonna use it for all my pen related needs yeah, so uh, we talked a little bit about uh, in the beginning of the show. Uh, you called some live disc golf. Uh, it was amazing to to hear it again. Uh, what do you got coming up on your schedule next, Nate? I'm gonna go and see my buddy Paul Macbeth and do a clinic with him in Virginia uh, in a couple of weeks. So I'm gonna be across the country and uh, help him teach some new players at the grand opening of a course that he designed. Uh, really looking forward to that. Looking forward to taking a seat in the McLaren and giving that thing a little zip. Uh, and then after that, I'll be doing commentary for the Jonesboro or the Jonesboro Open, the DGPT, um, at, from Bend with Nate Doss and I think with Jamie Thomas and Val Jenkins. And then after that, it's time for me to golf and go to the DDO Dynamic Disc Open in Emporia, Kansas. Really looking forward to that. I got out and played 36 holes today. Thank you, Coraline. That was awesome. She hung in and let me play 36 and uh, shot myself a little 14 under. It was it was awesome. So I, 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 I was just kind of pretending I was Ricky. After watching him shred, I just was like, I have to go play. And I just said, I, I put harder now. So that's a new new thing for me. I'm, I'm a, I got a little bit of Rick, and it's helping. I would say um, – yeah, he's just uh, – he's been playing amazing. Now, you're getting out and you're going to play. Is there a chance we're going to see another Big Sexy Berry practice round? Oh, more than a chance. Book it. Oh, my God. that I can't tell you how much I, I enjoyed that, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I'll tell you what, big things coming out of the show – Big things going on for you heading out to you know, driving McLarens and your new practice. I, hope. I don't rounds. know. I don't. I mean, I got no promise that I'd be allowed to drive. We'll see. Well, uh, you know, that's Paul's baby. I don't know yet. I, I'm pretty sure I'm going to get a ride. Listen, Nate. It is so much easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. <laughs> when you pull back in the driveway, you just toss Macbeth in my bed. I didn't realize you didn't oh, want me man. to drive it. Yeah, sorry. Uh, this one's the McLaren. I didn't know this was the McLaren. Sorry, dude. Yeah. 
Yeah, listen, if you're if you're ever up in Tacoma, the Prius, it's all yours. Take it, take, <laughs> take, take it for a ride. It, 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 there'll, be, there'll be no problems with that. Yeah, no worries, uh, man. Yeah, you know, I don't know if I ever told you this, but my I think my favorite part of the show uh, was when we had Paul <laughs> when we had Paul on, and uh, one of the fan questions came in and asked if it was difficult playing with with hannah being there and you cut in and went well you know hannah and i are really just friends so (laughs) that was that's like that's been like one of my favorite parts of the show uh, so far so if you guys haven't heard the paul Macbeth episode hop in the archives they're all there you can find us on youtube running it with nate sexton of course the podcast is available on itunes and spotify and google and anywhere where you guys are listening to podcasts uh make sure you hit that button so you get the updates immediately um, and it gets those shows out ready for everybody at like 6 a.m. on Friday morning uh, so if you guys are subscribed you'll know when they're coming out and who the guests are do us a favor hit that five-star review if you think we've earned it if we haven't earned it hit that five-star review and then reach out to me in the email and let me know how we can earn it now Nate I also wanted to give a little shout out to our friends across the pond over in the UK the Amside podcast, a couple of big disc golf fans, and running it with Nate Sexton has been pretty well presented and represented by the Amside podcast. Uh, one of their first guests, one of their more fun guests. Nate, what was it like being one of their first guests? Oh, I mean, you wouldn't have known. It was fun. You know, I'm I'm a newbie in the podcast game, and I think they are too. But yeah, I was just uh, excited to talk to some British guys, hear how disc golf's going over there, and yeah, I had a great time. Yeah, awesome guys, and um, you guys are listening to this on Friday. Uh, the newest episode dropped on Wednesday, and uh, for some reason they wanted to talk to me, but we had a really good time, and we chatted some disc golf and uh, told some fun stories, so check out our friends over at the Amside Podcast. You won't be disappointed. In the meantime, Nate, while everyone else is kind of just laying them up, Gosh, man, we got to run it. Did you? Did anyone see Rick? How many times can I say it? And then you got Juliana just winning every tournament under the sun. Laying up was the old way. It's, it's time to run it now. It's time to run it, guys. Make sure you check out our sponsors. Special thanks, Fisher Disc Golf and Cab Coffee Roasters. Run it 10.